Hey, so this morning, um, we are going to dive into the last part of our Just You and Me series. So go ahead and take your Bible if you have one, or if it's on your device, uh, look up Mark chapter 8. We've been looking at glimpses of Jesus when he takes people, you know, in, in a in a crowd setting, he'll often take people aside. And this is another one of those examples where it's just him and someone else. And we're looking at these stories to recapture a vision of this God who is, who is personal, who wants not just, you know, the, the experience of the group. He doesn't just want to, um, I don't know if this is an appropriate analogy, he doesn't want to group date us, or if that makes sense. He, he wants intimate communion with us, right? In Revelation chapter 3, verse 20, if, if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and, and dine with him and he with me. And, and that's the picture that Jesus wants. And I really believe that's a message that we need to hear, especially at the end of time, um, uh, that, that Jesus is a personal God who, who wants personal communion with us. And so if you found Mark chapter 8, go ahead and say amen. All right. I want to share with you a story briefly before we dive into the into the scriptures. Um, there was something that I came across. I, I decided to start looking for good news. I don't know if you I mean, there's a lot to really be distraught about. I mean, Texas, man, I, Texas is being beat up. Um, the Bahamas and, you know, all these kinds of things. So whether it's natural disasters or social, you know, tensions and things like that. I mean, this world is broken. And we need a savior. And um, I just, you know, over the last few weeks, I've been looking for bright spots. Anyway, so I came across this, um, this story of a, of a little boy. Um, his name was Axel Johnson. It was his first day of kindergarten in Wisconsin, okay? And he's all excited. He is, you know, the whole week prior, he's been shopping with his mom for, you know, school supplies and stuff. And he is waiting at the school bus stop with his mom, like jumping with excitement until the school bus actually rounds the corner. And you know what happens? There's this kind of dawning, this realization, wait a minute, I am going to separate from my security, right? I, I'm going to be for hours on end in a place full of strangers, you know? And this boy, Axel Johnson, when the door of the school bus opens up, he, his head drops and he can't stop sobbing. He ends up walking onto the school bus, sits right behind the school bus driver. And the school bus driver reads the story in a minute, you know, in a second. She, she just, she recognizes what's going on. She reaches out her hand. And her name, I believe, was Isabel Lane. She reaches out her hand and says, it's going to be okay. We're going to make this. And the, the rest of the story, you know, the mom is the one who actually snapped this picture. And the Augusta police actually uh, got a hold of it. And this is what, if you can't see what this Facebook post says, is in our second official year in the school, we really need to shout out our school staff. This is one of our wonderful bus drivers, Miss Lane, holding the hand of a scared little one on his first day of school. The compassion we see every day in our teachers, bus drivers, custodians, administration, food service staff, and paraprofessionals is truly admirable. We are so fortunate to be able to partner with these people. Beautiful, right? Just kind of like a, okay, that's warm fuzzy for the day, right? <laughs> yeah. We, anyways, and, and it reminded me immediately of one of my favorite promises in Isaiah 41, verse 10. Do you know this one? Isaiah 41, verse 10, the Bible says, Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, 
for I am your God. I will strengthen you. Yes, I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Isn't that beautiful? I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. This gives me a glimpse of a God who holds us in our fears and in our stumbling. Uh, One of my other favorites, Psalm 37, verse 23 and 24. The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord, uh, and he delights in his way. Though he fall, he will not be utterly cast down, for the Lord upholds him with his hand. This is a God who holds us. This is a God who holds us by his hand. This is a, in the midst of life's chaos and blinding uncertainties, Jesus will lead us by the hand because he is a personal God who extends a personal touch in our personal needs. Can you praise the Lord for that today? I mean, that's beautiful. That is beautiful. And today we're going to look at a story in Mark chapter 8. Hopefully you still have it. Mark chapter 8, we're looking at a story where Jesus takes someone, literally, he takes someone by the hand. And I'm starting in verse 22. And this is the only gospel of the four gospels. This is the only gospel that records this story. So it's really unique. I mean, the things that happened before this story, the things that happened after this story, they're recorded in the other gospels as well. But in verses 23 through 26, completely unique to the gospel of Mark. Here we go. Then he came to Bethsaida and they brought a blind man to him and begged him to touch him. So are you, you following the, the picture so far, right? There's a crowd of people, and they're, they're, they are the ones that are requesting on behalf of this, what, what was the ailment of this individual? He's blind, right? He's blind. And what was their specific petition to Jesus? That he touch him, right? You know, in our fears, sometimes the greatest need is just a simple touch, especially for a blind man, especially for a blind man. In verse 23, So he, that's Jesus, took the blind man by the what? By the hand and led him out of the town. So here's Jesus taking this man aside, kind of went against the grain of the people's petitions. They wanted Jesus to touch him and do something kind of spectacular as maybe they've seen or heard about. Uh, from, from other stories and stuff. He went against the grain of the people's petitions because he's a personal God who wanted to secure a personal audience with this one man. He wasn't doing this for anyone else. He was doing this for him, for him. Maybe Jesus read in his body language. Maybe Jesus read just in, in, in the, the, the appearance of this man. He read the heart of this man. He knew he was fearing and trembling like little Axel Johnson. Okay, he knew he was stumbling along his way and wanted, to, wanted him to experience Psalm 37 for real. Hey, the Lord is upholding you by his hand. And so when he does this, man, you know, as we've seen in stories past, we saw in Mark chapter 5 that when, when Jesus takes personal uh, time to, to invest personal attention into the demoniac, his life was completely changed. Demons were cast out, right? When he took personal time for Jairus, the dead was raised. When he took personal time for this daughter, this woman who just reached for the hem of his garment, her life was healed. She was healed of her affliction. And here in this story, what happens? In verse 23, so he took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the town. And when he had spit on his eyes... And put his hands on him. He asked him if he saw anything. 
Are you still playing the movie in your mind? <laughs> right? Here's a blind man. Can't see anything. And so all of his other senses are extremely heightened, right? That's where the touch comes in, leading out by the hand. Maybe he's smelling different things along the way. But suddenly he hears something. And what's the thing that he hears? <laughs> right? <laughs> and then he feels something. And what is the thing he feels? Can you, can you just imagine? And so he's experiencing this in ways that maybe we don't experience when we're just looking at ink on paper. (laughs) Man, he had spit on his eyes. He put his hands on him. I don't know, maybe he's manipulating the spit into his eyes. Yeah, anyways. (laughs) And then the words of Jesus. Do you see anything? Verse 24. And he looked up and said, I see men like trees, walking. Now, I don't know what kind of hairdo these people had back in the day, but there were, anyway, so, so he sees something. He sees something, and apparently it's not all, uh, you know, 4K, HD, you know, whatever. But then in verse 25, it says, Then Jesus put his hands on his eyes again. Now, this is really interesting, and maybe... Maybe this is why the other gospel writers didn't include this story. Mark was the first gospel to be distributed. And maybe the other gospel writers just didn't feel comfortable with Jesus kind of having a second effort. Like doing a mulligan, right? Kind of a do-over. But then he put his eyes, I'm sorry, his hands on his eyes again and made him look up. Last part of verse 25. And he was restored and saw everyone clearly. Oh, that's what your hair looks like. You know, that kind of thing. He saw everyone clearly the second time around. Now, I I, I look at the story and I, you know, the way I was describing it, I I do kind of find a lot of humor in this story. I mean, Jesus, I love the fact that Jesus, he, I mean, he didn't heal every blind man this way, right? Jesus didn't heal every demoniac the same way. He didn't heal every leper the same way. He did things individually. He did things personalized, custom, tailor-made, so to speak. And there was something in this individual's life that that needed this experience. But I would also submit that there was something in the lives of those around him at that time that specifically needed to see this kind of experience. And we're going to look into that just a little bit. But I want to pose a question today. Was Jesus making a mistake or was he making a point? That would be my assumption too, knowing Jesus' track record, right? I would assume that Jesus is not making a mistake, that he's not kind of tripping over his uh, his capacity to heal and to restore, but that he is actually making a point. The question is, what is that point, right? What, What kind of point is he making? And I would submit today that the point that Jesus is really demonstrating and illustrating is that sometimes we may see, we may see something, but not see everything. Do you follow that today? There are times in our lives where we may see something, but we don't see everything clearly. But Jesus can lead us to seeing nothing to something and something to everything. And what's really interesting about the end of verse 25 that I just noticed recently is that It says, and he saw everyone clearly. In other words, what 
he needed to see was not just things and trees, but he needed to see people. He needed to see a person. And so when you look at the context, sometimes you're trying to figure out a story or a passage or a concept, and one of the most helpful things to do is just kind of look at what's before and what's right after. And you'll discover that in chapter 8 of Mark, there is a lot of blindness going on. There is a lot of blindness. So just, just look at the story previously. I mean, if you look at the headings at the beginning of chapter 8, he's feeding the 4,000. So this is the second time he's feeding thousands of people out of small amounts of food, right? But then on the heels of that, in verse 11, uh, there's, my heading says, the Pharisees seek a sign. Right after Jesus feeds 4,000 people, a multitude for the second time, the Pharisees are asking, hey, can you give us some sort of evidence that you are who you are? And then in verse 12, but he sighed deeply in his spirit. <sighs> right? And said, why does this generation seek a sign? Assuredly, I say to you, no sign shall be given to this generation. And then he's in a boat with his disciples. And he's kind of, you know, still seething almost, you know, fuming from the, the frustration of the Pharisees and stuff. And he says, beware, watch out for the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees. And the disciples are looking around. And they realize, leaven, leaven. Oh, we forgot bread again. And they're thinking about bread. They're thinking about physical food. And then Jesus says to them, verse 17, but being aware of it, said to them, why do you reason because you have no bread? Do you not perceive nor understand? Is your heart still hardened? And then verse 18, notice, having eyes, do you not, what's the next word? Do you not see? In other words, he's frustrated because those who have been following him pretty close to a couple of years by now, they don't see. They don't see. They don't see what? They don't see Jesus. Well, they, they've seen Jesus. They've seen him heal. They've seen him teach. They've seen him raise the dead. But apparently, but apparently they're not seeing everything clearly. Yeah. And so what does Jesus do? In this story, in the story of the blind man, in order for him to see, Jesus takes him aside. I love that. He, Jesus takes him aside. And that's what I think the, the whole bottom line of this Just You and Me series is all about. That we need that time alone with Jesus. For us to see everything clearly, Jesus leads us by the hand and takes us aside from the crowd. In order for us not just to be content with seeing some things about Jesus, but to see everything clearly about Jesus, we need to be taken aside from the crowd. We need him to lead us to personal communion with him. And that's what he does next with his disciples. The very next thing he does is he takes the disciples from where they were, kind of uh, this whole frustrating conversation about leaven and, and not really getting it and stuff. And Jesus takes them to a place where he has their attention exclusively to Caesarea Philippi. Notice verse 27 if you're there. Mark chapter 8, verse 27. Now Jesus and his disciples went out to the towns of Caesarea Philippi. This is kind of a Gentile territory here. So he's not imagining that people will really know who he is out here. So he's not going to be distracted by crowds and multitudes. So he's just got the 12. And on the road, he asked his disciples, saying to them, Who do men say that I am? Kind of gets this... Uh, Google survey going on, you know, like, hey, hey, what do you think? What's the, what's the popular opinion of, of, of who I am these days? In verse 28, so they answered, John the Baptist. But some say Elijah, and others, one of the prophets. 
In verse 29, he said to them, but who do you say that I am, right? He goes from the general populace to the personal opinion, right? I, I would submit to you that Jesus is ultimately interested in whether or not we personally know him. Jesus is ultimately interested in whether or not we personally know him, what he's up to in our lives, what he's actively doing with us, in us, for us, etc. Jesus wants us not just to know about him and not just to know what others say about him. He wants to know. He's interested. Do I have a formed conclusion about who Jesus is and what he wants to do in my life? Question is, are you and I personally acquainted with Jesus? That he's more than a prophet, but the son of God. That he's more than an idea or a doctrine or a set of beliefs, but that he's the risen savior who holds you by his righteous right hand. Do you know that? Do you you know that more than just theory, but also experience? Could it be that to forfeit this taking aside experience, could it be that to forfeit our time alone with Jesus is to essentially remain at the surface level of this is what other people say about him? I don't know if you caught that. I'll try to say that again. Could it be that to forfeit time alone with Jesus is to essentially remain content with what other people say about Jesus? Time alone and coming apart with Jesus actually puts us in position to see him, to see him clearly and to know him personally. That's what I long for. And I'll tell you what, that's what Jesus longs for too. But while we may know something of who Jesus is, that doesn't always equate to seeing everything about Jesus. And that's what Peter experienced. Uh, Let's keep reading. Uh, So when when he asked this question, verse 29, he's getting personal now. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? Peter, he's the one that answers and says to him, hey, you're the Christ, right? If you read this story in Matthew chapter 16, so Matthew's version of this, Jesus right away kind of gives him a gold star and says, dude, this is, this is divine revelation. You didn't just come up with this on your own, right? But here in this story, it just kind of gets to the point. In verse 30, then Jesus strictly warned them that they should, not, that, that they should tell no one about him. This is really interesting. Obviously, Peter understands who Jesus is. Peter knows Jesus is not just John the Baptist raised from the dead. Jesus is not just a reincarnation of Elijah who has ascended or descended from heaven or something like that. He's not just one of the prophets. Peter knows Jesus is the promised one. He is the Messiah. I would say this is seeing Jesus. But as we find out, this is not seeing everything about him. Notice verse 31. And he began to teach them. In other words, this is the first time that marks the time when Jesus starts revealing more of himself. Okay? He began to teach them what? He began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. This is halfway through the Gospel of Mark, years into their following after Jesus. And all the while, Peter has concluded, Jesus is the Christ. Jesus is in in Peter's mind, is going to sit on a throne and conquer the Romans. And if I'm following that, guess where I'm going to end up to, right? So Peter's drawing conclusions for himself, but Jesus now begins to teach them 
that the picture of the Christ is completely different than the picture that they had before. He began to teach them for the first time that the Son of Man is going to suffer many things at the hands of the religious leaders. That after three days, he would eventually be risen again and stuff. In verse 32, he spoke this word openly. Then Peter, the one who had the divine revelation, the one who saw something of Jesus, then Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Uh-uh. No, you know, Peter is getting on his case. What are you talking about? You're the Christ. What is this thing about being crucified? Verse 33, but when he had turned around and looked at his disciples, it's almost as if Peter took Jesus by the hand, right? It's almost as if Peter now is the one who is instructing the instructor. But Jesus, when he had turned around and looked at his disciples, he rebuked Peter saying, get behind me, Satan. For you are not mindful of the things of God, but the things of men. Apparently, Peter sees men like trees walking. He sees Jesus, but he doesn't see Jesus clearly. The question is, would Peter and anyone else who is partially uh, blind, would we keep looking up until we see Jesus clearly? Verse 34 When he had called the people to himself with his disciples also, he said to them, whoever desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Jesus is laying out the way to see everything clearly. And we'll we'll get to that in just a little bit. But here, Peter rebukes Jesus. And I, I I hear in this story, I see in this Peter's blindness, our tendency is to let our expectations rule the day who Jesus is versus who we want Jesus to be. Jesus rebukes Peter because our need is to surrender our expectations and let Jesus reveal himself to us, no matter what it is that I want Jesus to be or I perceive I need Jesus to be. Here's the thing. When we get alone with God, when we let him take us aside and have that time where it's just you and me, when we have that, How do we come to him? Do we come to him with our expectations and push him into our mold and our agendas? Or do we let him instruct us? And I I, sometimes I wonder to myself if I've if I've hit a wall in my relationship with God, or maybe you've experienced this too, uh, where you've hit a wall in your relationship with God or your understanding of what He is up to in your lives, and you're just not seeing it. You're just feeling like "Ah, this I I don't get it or I don't understand. Is God really present? Where is He? You know those kinds of things. But what if what if uh, Jesus is revealing us, revealing Himself to us? the whole time, and we're just not seeing it because we are blinded by our own expectations. I don't know if that makes sense. We're blinded by our own um, uh, devised expectations of what God should be doing, and then that colors or skews or even blinds our vision. Maybe all the while he is present in your life. Maybe all the while he is present in your home. Maybe all the while he is present in your workplace, your marriage, your classroom, or in your character building. And we just haven't seen it because we've been blinded. We may see something, but not see everything. 
And the bottom line that I, I, I realized from this story is that there will always, always be more to see of Jesus. Whether you're a lifer or a newbie, right? There will always be more to see of Jesus. Why? Because Jesus, if he is who he says he is, the infinite God who in the beginning was the word and the word was God, if this is God, there will never be an end to knowing God. That's what, by the way, that, that, when, when, when you think of eternal life and when we think of heaven and stuff, heaven is more than just harps. Heaven is more than just flying from cloud to cloud. All those things are going to be great. I'm going to be looking forward to, you know, eating mangoes from the tree of life every single day, whatever. You know, I'm going to be looking forward to all the things of heaven. But you know what heaven is? Heaven is more than a place. Heaven is a person. It's not in heaven that we find God. It's in God that we find heaven. If eternal life, according to John 17, verse 3, is knowing him, then we are experiencing eternal life even now and throughout eternity because we've come to know him more and more. There will always be more to see of Jesus. Not too long ago, I finished reading through the book of Exodus, and I was just impressed by Moses. I mean, Moses is a guy who... He's decades old, right? He's, he's got years under his belt. He's seen a lot of what God can do. And there's in Exodus chapter 33, do you remember the bold request that Moses asks of God? He says, show me your glory. And he's, he's, he's asking God, I want to see who you are. But when you're in Exodus 33, that means you've already passed Exodus 20, 21, 22. Moses has been on top of Mount Sinai six times to commune with God before he asks to see God's glory. Wait a minute. He was already having dinner with 70 elders at the feet of the throne of God. And Moses wants to see more. Why? Because there will always be more to see of Jesus. Turn in your Bibles really quickly. Hold, hold your place here in Mark chapter 8. Uh, Job, Job chapter 26. This is really cool. You know, a lot of Job is um, the friends of Job talking, so you don't always want to take everything <laughs> uh, that you find in Job. But there's something really, really cool. Um, Job chapter 26. And I think there's just wisdom here, humble wisdom here. Job chapter 26 beautiful just kind of response if you found it go ahead and say amen maybe you're looking for the book of job if that helps job 26 okay so it's right before psalms job 26 and um this is now job speaking okay and he's kind of responding to one of his friends kind of getting at his friend saying hey do you think you understand everything of course you don't and this is kind of how God responds to Job in the end of the book. But anyways, so in verse 7, Job is just kind of showing off for God. Hey, this is how unfathomable God is, right? Verse 7, he stretches out the north over empty space. He hangs the earth on nothing. He binds up the water in his thick clouds, yet the clouds are not broken under it. He covers the face of his throne and spreads his clouds over it. He drew a circular horizon on the face of the waters at the boundary of light and darkness. Again, things that just are incomprehensible to human capacity. All right, and then at the end of the chapter, verse 14, indeed, these are the mere 
edges of his ways. Other versions say, this, this is just the fringes of getting to know who God is. All this stuff that is incomprehensible to us and only we can imagine it. But even that is just the very tip of the iceberg. Notice the rest of how he says it. And how small a whisper we hear of him. But the thunder of his power, who can understand? There will always be more to see of Jesus. We may see something. We may see some things very clearly, but we haven't seen everything clearly yet. And God wants to keep taking us by the hand day after day so that we can not just be content with seeing men like trees walking, but we can see Jesus clearly. Back to Mark chapter 8. When we look at this story and we see how, how this man's healing was really inserted in the midst of Jesus' attempt to in, give vision to his disciples, we realize, okay, 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 so Jesus is trying to heal the heart's vision, the, the heart's capacity to see Jesus, yeah? And so we've got to ask our question, where does this blindness even come from? When you think about the Pharisees, they were obviously blind to who Jesus was, right? And that's why Jesus was initially warning them, hey, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And, and then apparently it's not just the Pharisees who are suffering from blindness. It's the disciples too. The disciples too themselves, they were not seeing everything about Jesus clearly, which, which humbles me and it should humble us to recognize, okay, there are blind spots in my life that I am blind to. That's why they're called blind spots, yeah? And so we need to be in a humble posture towards God. How can I see everything clearly? And what gets me is that as Jesus is, is in verse 31, he's beginning to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things. In other words, it's by uplifting the cross that Jesus is trying to remove blindness. Do you, do you follow that? It's by uplifting the cross and the self-sacrifice of his mission that Jesus is trying to remove blindness, which tells me that blindness is really our selfishness. The source of our inability to see Jesus is that self gets in the way. You follow this, yeah? Which is why in verse 34, what he's trying to do in removing the blindness, he says, whoever desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. What's sad is that Peter, you know, he, he heard this, but he didn't experience this until after he denied Jesus first. And it was that denial that eventually led to him denying himself. You wonder what denying yourself means. It's not just denying yourself a dessert. It's not just denying yourself this. It's disowning yourself. In the same way that Peter disowned Jesus, I don't know that guy. We say to self, self, I don't know you. That's what denying yourself means. Apparently, it's also connected with taking up your cross. What Paul calls being crucified with Christ so that I would no longer live, but that Jesus would live in me and through me. 
Man, the source of our blindness is that self gets in the way, our self-seeking ambitions, our self-driven expectations of God. When the selfless character of, self, of the self-sacrificing will of Jesus is revealed, we are often blind to it because we're all about ourselves. It's not what we naturally look for, so we miss it and we miss Jesus. But Jesus is so patient and he is so good. That even when our blindness, our selfishness leads us to fear, leads us to trembling under the uncertainty of where he is, leads us to, you know, the, the Axel Johnson experience of just not knowing what is next. Even when, that, when our self-driven expectations and ambitions lead us to that kind of blindness, Jesus will reach behind and he will hold us by the hand and he'll take you aside. To remove your blindness and mine. How? By leading us to the crucifixion of self. Wow. That's kind of a big deal. Like it goes from comfort to pain, right? <laughs> and this is, this is what God wants for you and I. Because when self is laid to the dust, then the new man can rise and walk with him. Where we see not just something, but when we see him, and everything clearly. So as we wrap up today, I just want to appeal to you two simple, two simple take-home challenges, if you will. Take-home challenge number one, choose today. Choose every day to get alone with Jesus, to let him take you by the hand apart from the crowd. Choose it. It's not going to be given to you. We've got to choose it. In Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, it says, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. There are a lot of things that we choose in our lives. And one of those that we tend not to is to choose to get alone with God. And so I just want to appeal to us. Let's get alone with God. Make it a priority because it obviously it was Jesus' priority to take people by the hand. Right? It was obviously Jesus' priority to get people alone with him. And so, choose to get alone with Jesus. Second appeal to you today is this, that when you get alone with God, let's let him remove our blindness. Yeah? Let's let him. Let's let him remove our expectations. Let's let him remove our selfishness. Let's let him remove that stuff. And that requires honesty, that we actually need that, and humility, to recognize the difference between what I want and what God wants. To acknowledge the blind spots in our lives. To acknowledge the blind spots in our homes, in our marriages, in our character, in our financial management, in our lifestyle habits, in our choice of entertainment. Whatever the blind spots are, Jesus wants to remove that. And essentially, if we're asking Jesus to remove our blindness, and if blindness is the product of our, of our, uh, our self-seeking, then what we're really asking for is for Jesus to crucify self, yeah? And so this is actually, um, I'll, I'll just encourage you to pray this bold prayer in your times alone with Jesus. God, please lay self to the dust. Simple as that. I mean, it, it sounds simple, but it's really, I think that's why Paul says, I died daily, right? I died daily. Why? Because self needs to be crucified. The reality is, crucifixion is not self-inflicted. We can't do that for ourselves. Nobody has ever committed... Anyways, you understand. 
Crucifixion requires outside assistance. So before, you know, this is something that this week, as I've been just kind of marinating on this passage, something that I've tried to do is um, actually get in a posture of, of surrender. You know, a lot of times my, I have my, my space, I have my, my, my position of reading and just journaling and things like that. But something I'm doing out of the ordinary now is just to take a minute or two and actually kneel and get in a posture of surrender. I don't know what that posture of surrender would be for you, you know, um, whether it's a hanging your head or what, whatever. But just physically give Jesus time to crucify self. Don't just check off your reading or your prayer list for the day and get alone with God and, uh, you know, just kind of be content with that. But I would encourage that as part of that time, ask him to lay self to the dust. Now, one thing that I've incorporated over the years is actually taking a few minutes of my reading time just to read a story of the cross, whether it's, you know, Mark chapter 15 or Matthew chapter 27 or John chapter 19 or Luke 23. And just to read the story of the cross and ask Jesus to take me to the cross. And so, again, take time, get alone with Jesus, and let him remove your blindness. Let him lead you to the cross. How many of you today want to say, yeah, uh, I'll let Jesus cause me to see everything clearly. Amen. Amen. Let's bow our heads. Father in heaven, we pray that today we would experience the grace of Jesus in a new way. Um, and that in our morning times with you, you would cause us to see you. That you would remove our blindness, that you would remove the selfishness that gets in the way. Lord, we just want to be real with that. Um, maybe we've experienced blindness and all of its pain that comes along with it. You know, bumping into things and tripping over ourselves um, in various aspects of our lives. But Lord, we're praying for the healing grace of Jesus that would cause us to see everything clearly.